So before we can talk about insulin itself or insulin treatment, we need to talk about insulin in your body. Now, your body produces something called pro-insulin. Now, remember when we talked about protein synthesis, we start off with messenger RNA that goes through the ribosome. As it goes through the ribosome, codons, which are groups of three nucleotides, match up with transfer RNA. And the transfer RNA has amino acids. Those two amino acids get fused together, and then we get a chain of of amino acids, what we call a polypeptide. Now, and you guys said, and then you have a protein. And I said, not quite. There's a few other things that have to happen first, right? One of the things that happens is that this chain folds in half and has what we call sulfide bonds that hold the folds together. So in the case of in pro-insulin, it starts out as this long chain that then coils up on itself. Before it becomes insulin, we have to chop off the useless part, which becomes this C-shaped peptide, interestingly enough, known as C-peptide. Now, if we want to know, is patient Gibbony here producing insulin or not? What can we test for? C-peptide. Because we're giving her insulin. The question, you know, she doesn't have enough insulin, so we're giving her insulin. The question now is, is she producing any at all on her own? If she is, there will be C-peptide. Yes, that's how it works. Yeah. So your body will, your body makes this. And then it gets stored in your beta cells, and right before it gets released, it gets chopped off into the actual insulin and the C-peptide. All right, just a review of what insulin normally does. It tells cells to take insulin out of the blood and into the cell. It tells them to do the same thing to amino acids. It tells them to do the same thing to nucleotides, and it tells them to do the same thing to potassium. Now, it also tells cells to start producing complex molecules. So take those simple sugars, simple glucose, and make glycogen. What two, cell, what two kinds of cells would do this? What would make skeletal muscle and liver? And for those of you who did the fundamentals, um, you know, the uh, medical examiner, what was the biggest thing in your patient? The liver. So remember that. Tells them the liver to make proteins, and then it also tells your liver to produce triglycerides, which will then be transported to fat cells and make you um, more feminine looking. If it's, if it's subcutaneous. Remember, remember, what makes women look like women is subcutaneous fat. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> subcutaneous fat, subcutaneous fat, subcutaneous fat. That's what makes women look like women. All right. Now, in terms of insulin use for disease, we use it in type 1 all the time. 
and we use it in type 2 di diabetes patients once their pancreas has begun to fail. It is also the treatment for diabetic ketoacidosis. And how are most type 1 diabetic patients diagnosed? They go into ketoacidosis and end up in the ICU. Um, we can also use it to treat hyperkalemia. Now, the where we get it. You can make it from, from cows. Cow insulin is basically the same as our insulin, but it's no longer produced in the United States, so you will never give bovine insulin. Porcine comes from pork. The problem with it is it can be allergenic, and you should never give it to uh, Muslim or Jewish patients. And it's hardly ever going to be seen in the United States anymore. The most common is what's called recombinant. So what we do is we take the genes that produce um, insulin and we transplant them into bacteria. And the bacteria manufactures huge amounts of pure human insulin. What's bacteria used for? I don't know. So this is what's the most common in the U.S. and pretty much I'm, it's almost like 100% guaranteed that this is the only stuff you'll ever give as long as you stay in the United States. No, that's just, that's what was first developed. But the recombinant DNA, the recombinant insulin is probably in the last 15 years, it's pretty much taken over because it's safer and it's exactly the same as our insulin. All right, now, the major types of insulin. You should already know this from your must-know drug list. We'll talk about them in a little bit more detail. The first one is called natural or regular insulin. And regular is the name that you're going to hear in the hospital. The, it's the exact same as normal insulin, but it lasts longer than it does in your body, than, than your normal insulin is just because of the way it's given subcutaneously. Then we have faster than normal, and there's two kinds, Lispro and Aspart, which are the brand names Humalog and Novolog. By the way, the two major brand names of insulin are Humalin and Novolin. So the short-acting ones are Humalog and Novolog. Got it? So the logs are the short-acting. Short then we have some slower than normal, that's slower than regular insulin, and that's NPH, which is probably the most common one you're going to see, Simulente, lente, and ultralente, pretty much I've never seen these actually given in the hospital, but your book says that some of them are still used, but again, I've never seen them. What you will see is insulin glargine, which is brand name Lantus, and we'll talk about what makes this one special. Then there's a variety of mixtures. Mixtures are usually one of these three, regular Lispro or Aspart, mixed with NPH. So you can have a regular NPH mixture, and you can have a Lispro NPH mixture, and you can have an insulin or an Aspart NPH mixture. NPH cloudy? NPH is cloudy. We'll talk about that in a little bit. All right. Question? How fast it works in the body and how long it lasts. So the, the quicker it starts acting, the shorter it finishes acting also. Okay, so that's why the human log and the human log are short. Right. Right. Now, with the mixture, you're going to have two numbers because there are two types of insulin. So if it says insulin 7030, 
Which one is the is the in pH? The first one. The big number is the in pH. The little number is the regular or the short acting. So some brand names have a 75-25, but 70-30 is usually the most common one you'll see. There's also a 50-50, but I usually don't see that one used. Right. Um, and let me see. Okay, it's in here. All right. The major difference between these insulins is their solubility in water. The more soluble they are, the faster they absorb. The less soluble they are, the slower it takes them to absorb and the longer they act in the body. Now, NPH, the P stands for protamine. And protamine can be allergenic to some people. So some people may be allergic to NPH. You need to keep that in the back of your head. So always check the allergies on a patient before you just start giving them insulin because sometimes the physician and the pharmacist may not catch that they're allergic and you're the person who actually gives it to them. You're the one responsible ultimately for not killing that patient by accident. Question? No, no. It, what you would do is you're going to look on their chart, or if you're the admitting nurse, you're going to say, are you allergic to any medications? And they should tell you, yes, I'm allergic to protamine. What if they didn't know? Like, what if they never had it? No. <laughs> then it doesn't matter because they're not allergic yet. You, if they don't know they're allergic, you just give it to them because that's why no known drug allergies. You pretend like they don't have any. Once we know they have them, you never give it to them again. That's all you need to know. No. All right. Now, all insulins, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. All insulins are given subcutaneous. Now, there's two exceptions. Regular insulin can be given IV. And intranasal is uh, completely separate. That's called exubera, and that's an inhalation version. And where I say researched, um, this is old, it is now being used. And that is called exubera. No, no. Regular can be used, can be used subcutaneously or IV. It's the only one that can be used IV, though. All right, now, um, when I was in school, I had to memorize this chart. Um, I am not going to ask you to memorize this chart. But I do want to point a few things out from this chart. First of all, how long does it take for regular insulin to start working? 30 minutes to 60 minutes. So typically, this is going to be given before the patient eats. How long does it take Lispro and Aspart to start working? So generally speaking, these fast-acting ones, you do not give them until the patient actually gets the tray in their room and starts to take that first bite. Because sometimes 
the food comes into the room, and the patient, you know, I don't really feel like eating. You give them this drug, 10 to 15 minutes later, they can start to become hypoglycemic. So you don't give these two fast-acting ones until after the patient has started to eat. Um, NPH takes about an hour to three hours to start working, and it lasts about six to 14 hours, kind of unpredictable. Now, what I do want you to notice is that glargine takes how long to start working? So basically three days before it starts working, but it has no peak. So, what? Oh, sorry, 70, 70 minutes. You're all right. 70 hours. Crazy. Crazy me. All right, here's what we look at. This is what normal insulin looks like, okay? So you have what's called a basal level. Your, your um, pancreas is always secreting just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, and then you take a meal and you get a big spike in it. And then it comes back down and it lasts about as long as the meal stays in your blood. Okay. Um, this is the blood sugar itself. So this assumes this person had a really sugarful uh, breakfast here. Probably had sugar smacks. All right. So ordinarily, your, it, your pancreas only secretes extra when you eat. Now here is what the various insulins look like. So see this white line that goes straight across the bottom? That's sclargine or lantus. It's special because it has no peak. Now, which one of these looks the most like that basal rate that you normally do? The lantus. Okay, let's go back. See this basal line? This is what your body normally does. <laughs> which one of these looks the most like that basal line? Okay, the glargine or the brand name is Lantus. And you're going to hear them say Lantus. You're not going to really hear them say glargine very often. Yes, ma'am. You know how they say to eat like four to five meals a day? Why would they say that over the, like when this was like three? You know what I'm saying? That's just an illustration. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm just asking, like, does it matter as far as like... No, you're going to get that pattern. They'll just be closer together. Okay. All right. Now, which of these spikes looks the most like your body's normal spike? Okay, actually it's the Lispro and Aspart. Look the most like your body's normal pattern of secreting a meal. So if we were going to try and mimic the way your body works the best, what would we use? Aspart or Lispro and Glargine or Lantus. Okay, so the best way to control blood sugar is you give one shot of Lantus a day and then you give as many shots of Lispro or Aspart as the patient has meals. Now, this is the ability to do this has really only come about in the last five years or so. The older way of doing it is we used regular and we used NPH. And so you have these overlap, overlapping bubbles of action. And it became kind of difficult to predict when a person's blood sugar would go up or down. You're still going to take care of a lot of patients who have regular and NPH. 
Now, this line along the bottom is in hours. So let's take a look at this first one. The regular peaks around two hours. Then, the, as it begins to fade down, the NPH starts kicking in right around four to five hours. So if a person eats breakfast at eight o'clock, when, when are they going to have to eat lunch? About 12.30, 1 o'clock. Okay. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to predict when these little spikes are happening. Now, which one of these is the best in terms of looking like your body? The Aspart or Lispro plus Lantus. Just remember that. Now, right. Now, the two most common things that you're going to see the old style treatment, you're going to give them regular and NPH once in the morning and once in the evening. With that, a patient will have to have a snack before they go to bed or they could become hypoglycemic in the middle of the night. Okay, so regular and NPH once in the morning and once in the evening? Right. Now, why do you think patients might like that particular regimen? How many shots do they get? Two. Two, because you are allowed to mix regular and NPH together. If you did this regimen that looks more like your body's natural, where you give Lantus and Lispro or Spart, how many are you going to give? At least four, because you're going to give one shot for Lantus, which cannot be mixed with anything else, and then you're going to give, most people eat three meals, so you're going to give at least three shots of Lispro or Spart. Now, which one is more expensive? Okay, Lantus is more expensive than any other insulin. And which one uses more supplies, more needles? Okay, the Aspart plus Lantus. Now, which one is more expensive to treat a patient with? Well, to give, to physically give to the patient, Lantus plus Aspart is more expensive in terms of drug and supply. But we're better able to control blood sugar, so in terms of long-term disease, it actually turns out to be better. So even though it's more expensive up front, the patient doesn't have as many complications, not as many infections, not as much amputations, not as much neuropathy, not as much pain, not as much neuralgia, not as much heart attack perhaps, so in the long term, it's better to pay that money up front to get the long to get the better control. Now, what's the other downside? Which one hurts more in terms of being a pincushion? Right. So when we give regular plus NPH, we call that traditional therapy. When we give Lantus plus Aspart, we call that intensive therapy. Intensive is more expensive, and patient will feel more like a pincushion, but will have fewer complications in the long run. Um, it can be, yes. Okay. So, regular plus NPH is called traditional therapy, two shots a day. Lantus plus Lispro or Aspart is called intensive therapy, 
four shots a day, more expensive, but fewer complications. Well, we're talking for type 1 diabetics at the moment, um, or a type 2 diabetic who's complete, whose pancreas has completely failed. Right. Yeah, for, for type 2 diabetes who just need a little bit of insulin support, it's a very different story. You know, they typically will only need the Asparta or Lispro, they won't need Lantus at all. Right, so this is type 1 or a complete type 2 failure. All right. Hang on, hang on. All right, um, let's see. All right, one other thing about, about this right here. Regular insulin can also be used in an insulin pump. And I think they might actually have insulin pumps now that also use um, Aspartam Lispro. But regular is typically the one that's used in an insulin pump. What is an insulin pump? That's a very good question. It's a small device, about this big that patient will typically wear it on their belt or in their pocket and it has a little tube that goes to a needle that sticks in their skin and it constantly delivers insulin to their bodies so the way it will work is it will give a basal rate just like here and then when a patient eats they'll dial in based on their estimation of how much carbs they're eating they'll dial in how much insulin they want to get for that meal. So that also is considered intensive therapy and has similar outcomes to doing the Lispro plus Lantus. What, um, what insulin are getting? Mostly it's regular. I think, that, I think they have pumps that also work on Lispro and Aspart, but regular is the usual one that you see. It's really only common in type 1 diabetics. No, no, because, because it's constantly giving just a little bit through the pump. Now, issues with the pump. What's the number one issue, do you think? Okay, actually, it doesn't usually cause infection. Yeah, the, the main thing is that patient has to wear it, so they have to dress in such a way that they can always wear it. Now, who tends to get type 1 diabetes? children they can be very self-conscious about that because it's a physical sign to everyone else that they are not normal it's, it's typically worn on a belt or in a pocket I guess it could just be a complicated PDA or a cell phone now the other issue with it is that you're supposed to change the needle location every three days so, you ha so you're supposed to pop it out and change the needle and pop it back in somewhere else. So okay, the other thing is it can also limit the ability of, of that uh, patient to, to participate in certain contact sports because you don't want to be damaging it. Um, we did have, when I was working in Gainesville, we had a patient who wanted to go scuba diving. 
And so, you know, he, he couldn't go scuba diving because none of, the, um, none of the scuba places would allow him to go scuba diving with the insulin pump unless he got a medical clearance. And of course, we're like, um, we don't, I don't mind giving you the clearance, but I don't know if that's going to break if you take it down to whatever. So in the end, what, what he did for that day was he just did regular and NPH. And then after he was done diving, put the pump back on. So, but yes, you know, things to think about when you're dealing with patients who have pumps. 